and Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Thank you for joining us and being a part of the online campus at First Methodist Church. My name is Charlie and I pastor First Methodist Amarillo Campus, but I could not be more excited to be here with you today as we continue our series, Rerouting on the Road to Christmas. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2. So let's go ahead and turn there now. Okay, today's main text is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and this is what it says. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who was born the king of the Jews? For he observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes, of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come, from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me words so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that had been seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another way. The story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is a story both of irony and contrast. It really is a story of constant rerouting. This story often goes places we don't expect, we weren't prepared for. We've been looking at the cities and the locations that are mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew on our road to Christmas. Each of these locations are packed with theological implications. These locations bring up the emotions of the people who lived there during the time of Jesus. Emotions that we might just simply pass by or miss, especially if we don't know the history of those places. Today, we're going to be journeying together from Babylon to Bethlehem, a crazy journey that might leave us scratching our heads in confusion. What do Babylon and Bethlehem have to do with each other? Why are these places mentioned? Why is this the journey of our Christmas story? Now, in the book of Matthew, it simply says, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. It doesn't mention Babylon by name. However, the east implies the area of Babylon. Just a small, simple sentence packed with incredible implications and intrigue. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They were looking for a newborn king of the Jews. And it begs the question, why in the world would wise men or magi be looking for a Jewish king? It doesn't make any sense. Why would they travel hundreds of miles to bring gifts and worship a child that isn't even of their religion? What would make these wise men completely reroute their lives to take such a costly trip? 
To understand the intrigue and the irony of this, we have to know the story of the Bible. Because Babylon is a location that still to this day brings pain to the Jewish people. If you remember the story, Babylon is the location of the Jewish exile hundreds of years before. The Babylonians marched into Jerusalem and burned it to the ground and completely destroyed the temple of God. To illustrate the pain associated with this relationship between these two groups, I want to read for you one of the most controversial psalms of all scripture. But before I do, I want to remind you, this is an important biblical principle. Simply because something is listed in scripture does not mean that God approves of it or affirms it. There are things in scripture that are descriptive, but not prescriptive. In other words, what I'm about to read describes the emotion and the pain and the anger of the Jewish people towards Babylon, but it doesn't mean that God affirms or approves how they respond to that anger. Psalms 137 is not God's prescription on how to respond to your enemy. It's far from that, in fact. But now just to kind of help us illustrate and understand the, the pain associated between Babylon and Israel, let me read for you Psalms 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem's fall. How they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rocks. Brutal. What a brutal description of a response to our enemies. This really illustrates the history of anger and pain between Babylon and Israel. But it's from that history of anger and pain that Matthew records these words. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. What irony. What irony we find in this story. The Babylonians, the ancient enemies of the Jewish people coming to worship. And Herod, the king of the Jews, and all of Jerusalem are afraid. They should be excited and expectant. But as we looked at last week, Jerusalem and, and King Herod were frightened, afraid, and unprepared. And we know that Herod inquires of the scribes and the experts in the law to try to figure out where the Messiah was, the true king of the Jews, where he was supposed to have been born. And they come back to him and they actually quote the prophet Micah. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. 
Therefore, he shall give them up until when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and shall be the one of peace. God had given Micah a message. Actually, the prophet had received three messages Just like the other prophets of old, Micah was warning the people to return back to God, to repent. He was warning Israel and Judah that God's judgment was coming if they did not repent and turn back to God. He was calling them, inviting them, begging them to return and faithfully worship God in obedience to the covenant that God had made and given to them. But just as other prophets lamented, the people refused to obey. He pleaded with the leaders to look after the poor and the helpless, but the leaders were concerned with other things. So here's the outline of Micah. Judgment is coming. That's message one. A deliverer is coming. Message two. Trust the Lord now. That's message three. And these three messages are an alternating pattern of judgment and hope. Judgment and hope judgment, and hope. Where have we heard this before? Well, if you've read just about every other prophecy in the Old Testament, God's justice will overcome evil. God loves us and desires to save us. Throughout the Bible, we have this thread of hope that will not be broken. Even in the darkest nights, God's hope is revealed. And here in chapter five of Micah, we see the incredible prophecy of hope that is born out of the small town called Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Now you might be wondering, why is it called Bethlehem of Ephrathah? That's a good question. The reason was to distinguish it between another community called Bethlehem that was actually further north in Galilee. But why this city, this place? Bethlehem is mentioned 52 times in the Bible. And it's it's really only this small town, probably 200 to 500 people in in the whole city. It's a rural community about six miles south of Jerusalem. It is the place where the patriarch Jacob buried his wife Rachel in the book of Genesis. Bethlehem is also the place where Ruth gathered grain to support her and her mother-in-law Naomi. It's the place where Ruth met and married her future husband, Boaz. And and I find it so striking that this takes place in Bethlehem because the story of Ruth is such a beautiful picture of redemption and faithfulness and love, similar to the story of God's redemption for us through the child born on Christmas. It was also, Bethlehem was also the home of a man named Jesse. You might remember that story. One day the prophet Samuel came to Jesse with the purpose of anointing one of his sons as the king of Israel. God had indeed spoken to the prophet and communicated that he intended to anoint one of Jesse's eight sons to be king. And Jesse, in faithfulness, paraded seven of his sons before the prophet, but God did not choose any of them. Rather, he chose the youngest, the youngest to be king, the youngest one who Jesse didn't even deem important enough to bring before the prophet. Because we we find that when Samuel asks, is this all your sons? 
Jesse replied, there's one more, but he's out taking care of the sheep. You remember who that son was? David, King David, the same one who would one day slay the giant Goliath, the one who had a heart after God's own heart. This is the Bethlehem that is mentioned in Micah. This is where our hope lives. Indeed, Bethlehem means house of bread. Do you hear that? Bethlehem means house of bread. How appropriate. This is the place where the bread of life will be born. This is the reason why it's Bethlehem, the place of promise, the house of bread. Bethlehem is the place where the hungry can find bread, the bread of life, the place where we can be satisfied, where hope can indeed satisfy. Now, fast forward about 750 years, the bread of life, Jesus has been born. And there is this unlikely convergence of events coming together, wise men from ancient enemies of the Jews, Babylon, gather in a small town of Bethlehem to worship a toddler while the leader of the nation that should be worshiping is hiding in fear, looking for ways to kill that same toddler. As we reroute this Christmas season, let's take a moment to get our bearings and make sure we're on the right road. The, this road from Babylon to Bethlehem can give us some great directions, some great insight. The first insight from the story of Babylon to Bethlehem is that worship might arise from, from unlikely people. We've already looked at this, but it is the pagan astrologers who get it right in regards to worship. They see the child Jesus and they respond with joy and they kneel down and they worship him and they simply respond to the grace that God freely granted them. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in your faith, what you've done. The call is the same for all of us to worship. It's not just the spiritual elite or those who have it all together who are expected to worship. All of us are called to bow down before the king. And for those of us who know the truth, we should be very careful not to stand in the way of those who are seeking that same truth and that same forgiveness. The second insight that this story from Babylon to Bethlehem offers to us is that worship entails resolute purpose. These wise men didn't have really good theology. They didn't know the stories and the prophecies of the Jewish faith, but this much is clear. They knew that they sought the king worthy of worship. They had a purpose and they were willing to travel great distances to seek out that king. They were committed to their journey of faith, no matter the reroutes. And we should, do, we should be the same as well. We should have that same commitment. The last insight this story offers to us is that worship requires tangible expressions. Look, what, what did the wise men do? They fell prostrate in reverence before him, before a child. Their posture was a visible outward expression of submission before the king. In addition, they presented their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, expensive tokens of their esteem. So here we have an unlikely cast of characters who can help us seek wisdom, who challenge our prejudices against outsiders, against injustice, and against spiritual complacency. And at the same time, who can teach us that worship comes from a place of grace, a grace that God gives to us. It requires sincerity of heart and a resolute purpose and is expressed in humility and sacrificial giving to our true king, the King of Kings. So as we wrap up today, I want to end with this question. 
What is standing in the way of our worship? What is standing in the way of your worship? Is it prejudice towards others? Is it unresolved anger towards someone? Is it distractions or fear? I want to invite you, whatever it is that's holding back your worship, lay it at the feet of Jesus the King. Trust Jesus this Christmas to help you resolve whatever reroute you're facing. I encourage you, I invite you to empty your hands of what you're holding so that this Christmas you might raise them in worship to the King. So glad you joined us today. May God bless you. Merry Christmas.